Welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast. Good Reading is a monthly magazine dedicated to books and reading and aims to help readers discover their next favourite book. You can find out more about the books discussed on today's podcast at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. Amelia Mellor began her writing career as her school's resident playwright in year 11. Her first book, The Grandest Bookshop in the World, is set in Melbourne in 1893 in Cole's Book Arcade. It's a bookshop like no other, brimming with every curiosity imaginable. You might be thinking Amelia's next book should have been a sequel, but The Bookseller's Apprentice is actually a prequel, and the story begins with Billy Pike in Cole's Book Arcade, on a dreary Saturday morning in 1871. The bookstall was one of Billy's favourites. The shelves were crooked and crowded, the taller ones forming walls on either side. Tucked in the nooks between shelves and tables were wooden chairs, which folded themselves down when a reader approached to sit. A trestle table served as the front counter, arrayed with books and decorated with a pair of potted ferns. Edward Cole, the bookseller, stood behind it in his splendid scarlet jacket, chatting with a customer. At his side, a golden brown monkey crouched on a crate, carefully poking and biting on a pine cone to pick out the nuts. A sign bearing a thin rainbow hung over the stall, its letters changing and fading between two welcoming messages. Read for as long as you like. No one asked to buy. Amelia, welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Going backwards in time is a little unusual, What is it about the past and going backwards that inspires you? Sometimes I think you can learn more about the story you've just heard if you hear the story behind it. I actually do recommend reading The Grandest Bookshop in the World first and The Bookseller's Apprentice second because you get some of the answers to some of the questions raised by that book in this book. That said, um, I think you can read these two in either order. They're part of the same world. They've got a couple of recognisable characters. Also, it was just part of my creative process. I naturally found out more about Paddy's Market as I was researching for the grandest bookshop in the world. Dear Mr Cole, I am replying to your advertisement in the Friday 7th of July 1871 edition of the Herald newspaper to show my enthusiastic interest in the position you have available. I am conscientious and persistent as well as the qualities you have specified. As for intelligence, I am top of my class for reading and in the top five in my class in writing and arithmetic. As for honesty, I have been trusted to mind my six siblings for many years and they have hardly ever come to harm in my care. I am the hardest working child in our house with the most responsibilities because you can trust me to do things properly. As you may be aware, I can do a little magic, which is good for tidying things, and I can give the best of references as to my good character. Sincerely, William Thomas Pike. Amelia, Cole's Book Arcade seems like a truly magical bookshop, and as Billy Pike says, I can do a little magic, which is good for tidying things. How much magic can Billy Pike do? What is he going to do with it? Billy is about as good at magic as a kid of his age can be without being like a stunning child prodigy. He's not like a four-year-old who can play Mozart, but he's more like 
that kid who might be in your class whose drawings are very impressive, but, you know, he's not quite up to the level of a pro yet. So Billy uses his little skill, which is making order out of chaos. He tells things to put themselves in order expeditiously. So he mostly just tidies things up and makes them neat and um, uses it for his own convenience, but also for pleasure. His way of casting any magic is to picture what he wants in his mind really clearly, which is usually just something being nicely ordered and set out. Um, And then he imagines that they can hear him, those objects in front of him. He imagines they can hear him and he tries to summon some belief in himself and then he tells them to do it and his magic word that he finishes this command with is expeditiously. It is different for every person, though, magic in my books. So Mr Cole does it by writing and the Obscura Smith does it with a sequence of symbols, like a secret language. Let me guess, said the career magician, placing his birds on the bookshelf beside him. You're imagining that I frolic about on a stage doing this sort of thing. In time with his words, he conjured from the air a deck of cards, which turned into a white rabbit. But I am far more than a simple entertainer. He tossed the rabbit into the air. The animal wriggled as it fell. Before it hit the ground, the magician made it vanish. I am a purveyor of the incredible and the astonishing, a dealer in the things people believe cannot be bought or sold. What kinds of things? Billy asked. Beauty, fame, talent, wealth, love, ways out of hopeless situations, and it need not cost you a penny. The magician lifted his hat. The last of the three pigeons was sitting on his head. Call me Magnus Maximilian, the one and only authentic Obscurosmith at your service. Obscurosmith is a word that I made up um, because it refers to things that are sort of secret or hidden or strange and unknown. And Smith, a smith is somebody who crafts things like a blacksmith, which you might have heard of. As to what the Obscura Smith is up to, he is a con artist and a career magician. So in the world of my books, a career magician is somebody who does magic for a living, but they're usually performers. So a magician who is good enough can do it for a career, but the Obscura Smith doesn't give performances. He just uses his magic to rip people off and hurt them and try to figure out what makes them tick and then drive his nasty little plans into their life. For him, it's a way of pushing the boundaries of what he can do. He likes to do complicated magic and he likes to see the effect of his complicated magic on people. So when I say he's a con artist, I do really mean he's a con artist. He thinks of himself as an artist who is expanding um, what magic can do. Um, And he doesn't really care who gets hurt in his quest to um, explore what magic can do. What's he up to with Billy? Well, he has noticed 
that Billy is troubled in the market the morning that they meet and he has noticed that Billy might be vulnerable and Billy might be a good victim. So he's zeroing in on Billy here to try to involve him in a scam, basically. And as you may discover, Billy's very tempted. The girl glanced around them and noticed the obscurosmith in the lane. Come closer. Hang on, said Billy. I have no idea who you are either. I'm Kezia. Kezia who? Nobody. Rubbish. Your parents didn't name you Kezia Nobody. She didn't reply. All right, Kezia Nobody. What did you want to tell me? That man you were talking to did something to my parents. She pulled her long black hair away from one side of her face. And here's what he did to me. Billy flinched. The side of her head was blank. Her hairline surrounded nothing but flat skin. It was a few years ago, Kezia said. I'd heard what he was like, but I didn't really know. He gave me all these hints that he knew something about my past, said he knew it inside out and backwards. I tried to resist, I really did. But when the temptation got the best of me, he said, so you're finally ready to lend me your ear. The thing you ought to know about the Obscurosmith is that he can't lie, but you can't trust anything he says either. He gives you exactly what he promises in exactly the way you don't want. He gives you exactly what he promises in exactly the way you don't want. Kezia Nobody seems to know something important about the Obscura Smith. How did she come to know so much? Kezia Nobody is a girl who's been working in the market for quite some time. And she knows the people of the market and she's street smart, a little bit more street smart than Billy is. So she is trying to help Billy and trying to warn him away from the Obscura Smith because not only has she been the victim of one of his scams, she's seen them happen to other people before and she wants to help. She's a nice kid. Billy turned the cube in his hands. Although they shared a similarity in their design, each face was different. Four of them had small holes in the center, one shaped like a funnel, one like a figure of eight, another like a tiny pear, and one so narrow that only a pin or the end of a thread could have fit inside. The ones he could stick his finger into ended in solid wood. One didn't have any holes, but a large dial with the numbers from 0 to 99 around the edge, like a combination lock. The sixth side of the cube was inscribed with writing. Several accomplices I shall recruit, all of low morals and wicked repute. Outwit them by any means you can contrive, for they have not promised to leave you alive. Obtain from these villains each key that unlocks a catch on a face of this curious box. The more you will lose and yet remain whole, the nearer you come to achieving your goal. Surpass every foe and each lock to succeed, and you shall understand me well indeed. As vague as it was, the verse set the back of Billy's neck tingling. The sense of clear, angry purpose that he had felt the night of the fire was not coming now. How much of this riddle was meant as a set of instructions and how much was simply there to be threatening? 
Who were these villains and how closely did they guard their keys? Magic, fortune telling, riddles. This book is a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside a box of puzzles that all need to be solved. Why are you so fascinated with riddles and mysteries? Or are you just trying to mess with Billy's brain and mine for that matter? Two reasons why there are so many riddles in my books. One of them is that Mr. Cole, Edward William Cole, um, the bookseller in the title, he wrote a lot of books for children. And one of the features of those books is a whole lot of riddles, hidden pictures and things like that to keep children amused for hours. And I've been really fascinated by Mr. Cole's books and I've drawn on them to create the riddles in my books. Even the way that the Obscurosmith talks comes from Mr. Cole's riddle books because there's lots of tricky wordplay in Mr. Cole's riddle books. The second reason for me including so many riddles and puzzles in my books is because I love them and I think they're a lot of fun. When I was a kid, one of my favourite, favourite series was Emily Rodder's Del Toro Quest. And I would not only try to solve the puzzles along with the characters, I would go back and just flip through the books again just to look at the riddles and see how they worked. Even when I picked them up and I hadn't read them yet, I'd flip through to go, what riddles are in this one? What secret codes are in this one? So I did that with my books too. And I found that kids really respond to them in a similar way to me with Del Toro Quest, which is just lovely. Both The Grandest Bookshop in the World and The Bookseller's Apprentice are about books. You obviously love books. Why do you think books are such a great way of exploring the world and exploring the past? Writing and books can really immerse ourselves in someone else's mind. I think they're really unique in that way. And that's also something that fascinated me during my research because I did read a lot of Edward William Cole's books in the course of researching this and I read William Pike's diary too, who Billy Pike is based on. I think that insight into someone else's experience is really wonderful, really unique about books. And I also even found that in the newspaper articles that I read for the research for the Bookseller's Apprentice. If it was all available, say, as um, little film grabs and, and things like that, I don't think I would have had quite as thorough an understanding of, for instance, the smell. <laughs> Something that I found in my research was really thorough descriptions of all of the sensory overload of Paddy's Market. Like, I think you would need to have six pairs of eyes and five pairs of ears and three noses to really absorb everything that was going on there. Um, and, yeah, I think having it written down just provides such a complete human picture of what a place in the past was like and what somebody's experience of their life is like. Amelia Mello, it's been great to talk to you. Thank you for joining me on the Good Reading Podcast. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I've been talking to Amelia Mellor about her prequel to the grandest bookshop in the world, The Bookseller's Apprentice. It's published by a firm and you can find it at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. My name's Greg Dobbs and thanks for listening. Subscribe to Good Reading Print and Online Magazine at goodreadingmagazine.com.au.